Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Producers. I am your co-host, Mark Sands, and with me, as always, is Matt Sands. Hey, Matt. Hello. How's it going? It is swell. Good. (laughs) That's good to hear. Have we got a show for you tonight, folks? Boy, oh boy. Yes, we do. Have we got a show? (laughs) Uh, Before we go any further, let us us, uh, just give a Surgeon General's warning out there um, that we will be spoiling Mad Max Fury Road. We will be discussing Mad Max Fury Road. We will be ruining the movie. If you have not seen it, please stop listening. Go see it right now and then come back and listen to the show. Yeah, whatever you're doing, stop it. Go see it. It I don't care. Find a midnight show. It doesn't matter. Whatever time it is, find this movie. Go see it. Indeed. Well, Matt, why don't you... Uh, you just saw it. Literally just saw it. I did, yeah. So, I've been uh, like two hours ago. Saw it two hours ago. Uh, uh, I, I, I've got to be honest. About a quarter of the way through the movie, I was like, okay. Like, I'm with it. It's not blowing my mind or anything. But, uh, you know, okay. And then by the end, I was like, is there another showing after this? Like... Can I just stay in my seat and pay them again? Because I want to see this immediately. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it has that effect. It did that to me too. Right as soon as this, the movie got over, I just, I was like, wow, I would, I would watch this again immediately. I would go back yeah. tomorrow night, the day after. Like this is one of the few movies that I would see repeat, repeatedly in theaters. And I don't do yeah. that a lot. No, I don't know the last time I saw a movie twice in the theaters. And it was I just mind-blowing. Mind-blown. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> and it's a movie that I think you need to see in theaters. Like, if you're on the fence about it and you're like, oh, I'll wait till the Blu-ray and I'll rent it. No, don't, because you need to see it on a big screen. Visually, one of the most impressive movies I've ever seen. It, uh, It's stunning. It really, really is. Yeah. I had this conversation today with a few coworkers and it's like an art film, but it's an action movie. Yeah, it really kind of is. The only other movie I could compare it to uh, in terms of visual style was the fall, which if you haven't seen, yeah, that's a good call. Immediately see that as following Mad Max, um, because that is a super underrated movie. Um, But yeah, I mean, George Miller has stated in tons of interviews that, this is 80% real. This is not a green screen movie. There yeah. was very little CGI, and the CGI that they did use was on Charlie's Theron's uh, prosthetic arm. Um, There's a uh, sandstorm scene. The sandstorm was CGI. Which, yeah, had to have been. So, um, yeah, it's just th- the fact that, that 80% of the movie is practical effects. <laughs> you don't understand until you see the movie oh, how yeah. impressive that is. The I was telling my wife, who did not see the movie, <laughs> this is not her cup of tea at all, but uh, she was asking me what I thought of it, and I said, I, I want to see a behind-the-scenes making of of this movie just to see how they pulled stuff off. Yeah. Not in terms of... I, the stunts were impressive, so I want to see that, but just in terms of how they captured it, like, what kind of rig did they have to have set up? Because it obviously the cameras had to be mounted on cars. Uh-huh. And cameramen operating from there 
And so to coordinate the stunts with all of these cars and motorcycles and explosions and to still maneuver and get into place and get the shot, super impressive. Like, the, I hope the cameraman got a big raise for this movie because it's <laughs> it's insane. I don't yes. – there's no way to describe it if you haven't seen it. It's just insane. So many pieces are insane. Um, let's just let's just go through the movie, and then um, I have I read a ton of trivia and facts about this movie, so uh, we can kind of cool. talk about that as we go along. So the, the movie starts out um, a little bit of uh, some narration from Max, and yeah. uh, I read voiceover. in the IMDb trivia page that the word Max is only said in this movie three times. I read this before seeing the movie, and I counted six. So I would like someone out there to to discuss this with me because I counted the word Max six times, and I don't know if it's that he said it Mac, said Max six times or three times because he himself said it three times, and then there was yeah. some background whisper. Anyway, that was an interesting thing that kept me distracted for the film. Um, <laughs> so he immediately gets captured by some bandits uh, from the Citadel, and he is taken captive, basically. Yeah. Um, Matt, what'd you think of the, like uh, what'd you think of the, uh, the warrior? What? I don't know what they're called. Their tribe, the the white bald men, um, Nicholas yeah, Holt's character was, was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. His name was Nux. Nux. I believe in the movie Nux. Um, I, I thought it was really cool how, how each group, cause you have the Citadel and then you've got a couple other, what I, I guess you would call tribes. I don't really know how else to describe it, yes. but they each had sort of a distinct look and the Citadel, the warriors or the, kind of the army were all like pale, you know, powdered white or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was visually a really cool thing to see because it was such a stark contrast to the, to the yellows and the reds and the blues that they had going on in the desert landscape. And with the cars and sort of the flames coming out of the cars. So you had this like visually like, wow, stunning, lots of vivid colors and then white. And it was, uh, there's a scene that kind of reminded me a little bit of Indiana Jones uh, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. The beginning of Raiders and the beginning of Mad Max are sort of very similar in that he's, he's been captured by these guys, but he's running away from them inside this sort of compound, uh, which is sort of just a, a bunch of like, I would call a series of caves or underground things reminded me a lot of that and sort of the tribes people in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it, it was, it was kind of, kind of terrifying that opening scene where he's being chased. <laughs> I, I have a, a deep seated fear of being chased. I don't know why I hate it. I have nightmares about it. Um, one time my wife and I were at a park just kind of playing catch and stuff. And I turned around once and she was running at me and I almost had a heart attack. I was just like, <laughs> you can't chase me. Don't do that. So oh, he's being great. chased and they're white. They're pale. Yeah. It was, it was kind of an intense scene, but really visually again, visually unbelievable. Yeah. I thought it was a great opening uh, scene and it kind of introduces the flashbacks that he has throughout the film. Yeah. Of, um, I believe it's his family. Uh, yeah, I kind of surmised that it was like his daughter that he kept seeing. Right. And so he's kind of struggling with that throughout the film. Um, he gets captured. Uh, then we are, are are presented with the... Um, sorry, what's his name? Uh, 
Immortant Joe, I believe. Yeah, Morton Joe, yep. Um, who is a returning actor, not a returning character, but a returning actor. Uh, Hugh, going to butcher his last name. Yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's plays the old scary dude who has the coolest <laughs> mask on. Uh, <laughs> let's just be honest there. Creepy, but freaking awesome. That whole outfit of his is just like almost perfect. It um, is very cool. It reminded me a lot of Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And, you know, you got Tom Hardy in there. He's got I guess the, that's why I was thinking the breathing it, mask, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the deep voice. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was kind of – it was very cool, though. I loved and the all, Citadel, too. Yeah. And all the deformities on people, it was just – it was weird, so I added another weird element to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of creepy and – uh, again, just another visual element to the movie that's kind of what you would think maybe a minor detail, but ended up, you know, sort of, I don't know, playing along with all these different characters who had different things about their bodies that were kind of off. And then contrasting that with the the wives who were sort of, you know, quote unquote, perfect, perfect women. They were, you know, had soft, smooth skin. They didn't have these, you know blemishes they didn't have the deformities and things like that so sort of put everything sort of at at stake and Mm -hmm. kind of raise the bar why you why you knew that these women were important to this important joe and yeah stuff so it's what the plot is super simple but also pretty pretty weird (laughs) you know it's sort of straightforward you're you're getting these women out they're escaping you're you're getting from point a to point b and then once you get to point B, you go back to point A. That's it. That's the plot. But uh, there's a, sort of a lot going on in right. it at the same time. So yeah, it, it was a really, really well-written script. Dialogue was very sparse. Not a lot of talking in the movie. A lot of action. But, uh, yeah, the story came through and, and you cared about the characters. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was really, really well done. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, immediately following the Citadel, Charlize Theron's character is introduced. Um, she looked super cool in this in this movie. The, the yeah. grease on her forehead and her eyes. I don't know, something about that scene where she's kind of patching her her head up was just, it was like, whoa, it was like super cool. It and, was, yeah. And she's driving, I believe, to the, like, the gasoline tribe or something. And there's like a, the bullet tribe or something like that in the east. Or the west, rather. So she, she turns and heads east, uh, and the crew she's with, you know, she's she's saying, "Oh, just a diverging. We're diverging here. So a detour," she says. Um, and it turns out that she's trying to rescue the wives and take them to her original home of the the other women where they are. Um, this was really cool. Um, just a really like you said a really simple plot but it it was really cool because mm-hmm. um just the way it was executed was was just on par um and even so george miller um got in contact with the um the head of the vagina monologues woman to help write the script so that the the female portrayal of the characters were um you know done in a way that was kind of fair and balanced um, very cool so they had yeah, this movie definitely con- passes the Bechtel test uh which is sort of like i don't know what you call it i don't want to say feminist in a negative connotation because i don't think 
feminism is is negative but yeah the Bechdel test is sort of the feminist bar for movies you know are, are female characters presented fairly are they presented as, as strong and independent um you know does it pander to women or anything like that this movie does not this is a very empowering movie for the female characters and they they aren't second fiddle to tom hardy's mad max you know they're they're his equal basically in this movie charlie's there and for a good first half of the movie is sort of she's taking care of business <laughs> you know she's handling right. it on her own so it was really cool to see that yeah and i I was really distracted from, not distracted in a bad way, but I guess focused would be a better word, on Charlize's character. Uh, I, Im- Imperator, is it Imperator or Imperator? Uh, Furiosa. Um, yeah, yeah. She was just phenomenal. Like, not anyone could have played it better than her. Uh, and it was just great. And, and eventually, you know, with the fact that Mad Max doesn't hardly talk at all in this movie, you kind of forget he's in it. <laughs> sometimes yeah it's true and he yeah. really just plays the role of si- sidekick or a mm-hmm. backup yeah. or um you know just sort of that that pair that can kind of help um switch between the the war the war tank whenever there's something going on and they're fighting people from both sides of the door and stuff just really cool stuff um it was cool the, yeah. the battles the vehicles oh just crazy it was the, some of the stunts are just and and towards the end when they've got the guys on the poles yeah and they're going from car to car on these yeah. uh, like pole vaulting things it's oh it's so impressive and that was really Thomas Hardy on the poles going back and forth that wasn't a double wow so, uh, that was pretty impressive cool. yeah that is super impressive I, I liked sort of the the I guess dichotomy you had between the characters like Tom Hardy his Mad Max character, sort of a lone wolf, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. he sort of joins their pack selfishly as kind of a means of escaping. Whereas Charlize Theron is sort of this, like, I'm doing this for the greater cause and I might have to sacrifice myself. And he's sort of like, I will sacrifice all of you before I die. And then by the end, they're of course banded together and Nicholas Holt's character, Nux, sort of the same thing. He's, he's a warrior, for uh for emperor oh gosh i can't even say it immortan uh, joe Immort- it. yeah i keep saying um, the wrong word too but uh he's sort of vying for his affection for the first half of the movie like he wants to impress joe he wants to to become the king's kind of right-hand man and he has a moment with one of the wives where he gets real affection and the table sort of turned for him and so that was kind of a cool emotional point in the movie. We're in the middle of all this action and craziness and insanity going on. There's this sort of sweet, tender moment between these two characters. Mm-hmm. And it wins Nicholas Holt's character over, and he sort of joins their band as well. And then, again, huge spoiler alert, uh, sacrifices himself at the end so they can get through the pass and into the Citadel again. So it, it just was a really cool thing to throw into the plot because otherwise it's just sort of action and a lot going on which is cool and it was done well but there had to be a goal and and sort of they played on this hope and redemption thing and that i I think nicholas holt's character and storyline sort of embodied what they were trying to go for and then charlie theron's character as well and then by the end mad max fell into that as well but uh it was a nice tender moment 
at the right time. So. Oh, definitely. Very warming, very warming plot, and especially to see the the character development and the transitioning of the emotional state of uh, the. I live, I die, I live again. Like, yes, yeah. Witness me. You know, there's so <laughs> that whole scene of the chasing up into the dust storm and, and yes. until they fall out was. Uh, it is in the top five for me action sequences ever. Um, yeah, I would watch it on replay so many times. Um, <laughs> and it, it's just crazy to see, like, the the techniques that George Miller used for this apoca- post-apocalyptic universe. Um, is really believable. Um, and that's one of the things he said uh, in an interview was he wanted this this film to really portray a believable post-apocalyptic uh, dystopian future, um, which is why the colors are so vibrant. You'll notice that the colors really stick out. The green in the citadel of the crops, um, whether it was like corn or strawberries or whatever mm-hmm. it is they're growing – really stood out and that's what people wanted the water when the, when he poured it was really vibrant the people had browns on because that's really all they could scavenge yeah um but it's just like this this scene where that that's all all taken down and then they um uh to get back of like what what is uh at their disposal to kind of um do whatever they can to kind of save the women and impress uh their the king of Valhalla or whatever um, yeah, and so like you see him ripping up gasoline to fill the tank, rolling up the windows. He was gonna light a flare <laughs> and blow himself up. Yes, uh, there's a lot of uh, chroming. Uh, I I kind of did some research into this on the the spray paint in their mouths because I'm like, you know, is this what what is this? And I guess this is a thing when you huff paint. Um, I'm ki- I'm not kidding. If you Google image search huffing paint. These are the images that pop up. People <laughs> silvering their mouths. So I guess this is what that is. Um, feel free to write us in if I'm totally wrong because I'm kind of curious myself. Uh, but whatever it is, they get super high and then he wants to blow himself up. And Thomas Hardy pulls this really cool stunt where he <laughs> dives in, smashes the window, grabs the flare, and, you know, you saw the rest. So really cool <laughs> just seeing how they pull off some of this stuff and and the, the vehicles and the oh my gosh I just the art of this film is is what gets me yeah for sure and the spray paint thing like for me it was like yeah they're getting high they're huffing paint so they can get on this high and, and they usually did it before they killed themselves before they yeah. sacrificed themselves so they had to get this high to have the balls I guess to kind of go through with it but it was also like it seemed like they'd thrown in sort of their own made-up slang for this dystopian future where Nicholas Holt's character kept saying something like, oh, that's so shine. Or, you know, oh, look how look how chromed up it is. It's so chrome. It's so shine. And so it just sort of, like, almost was, I'm going to, you know, they're sort of embodying the slang that they've come up with for cool, uh, yeah. you know, which is shine. And so they're literally painting their mouths while they're also huffing it to be shine or whatever, I guess. And I, I could be way off base there, <laughs> but uh, that's sort of what I kind of connected on it with. So, yeah. One of the uh, other cool uh, parts of this film and a lot of people uh, have been discussing was um, the band Iota from Australia was the metal guitarist on that crazy <laughs> giant. Yes. Uh, rem- 
uh, revolving band, whatever you want to call it, uh, with a thousand speakers in behind him with a um, double-edged guitar flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, and it was like on bungee cords. And- yeah. Oh, it was so cool! Right. So this, and he's and he and the guitar player is like in all red, so it really stands out. It really pops. It was crazy. I loved it. Yeah. So the guitar player was actually an Australian uh, iota as the entertainer, and he built this guitar for the film. It weighed 132 <laughs> pounds and shot real flames. So wow, uh, really cool stuff. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh my gosh, that movie's just it's bananas. It is crazy. Oh, it's, I want to go see it again right now. Like talking about it. There's so much stuff I'm sure I missed because there's so much going on in every sequence. All of the cars, the motorcycles, uh, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. I would love to see it again myself. Oh, we need to go. We're we're doing it. (laughs) All right. We're doing it. You got it. (laughs) Um, Another thing that's cool was, so this wasn't a green screen film. This was shot on location in Namibia. It's a desert on the west, southwestern coast of Africa, um, which is one of the most densely populated uh, areas of the earth, just because it's mostly desert. So they pretty much had the whole land to themselves. um, And it was just like, it was perfect for this this scene. And And I guess they've tried... This movie's kind of been in the talks for years, um, decades, I believe. So this this movie is shot 30 years after the last Mad Max film came out, um, which is crazy to see the original and the one now. Mm-hmm. I, I was just watching the original Mad Max today, actually, and I'm like, this is so... Like, the cinematography... Like, the way film has evolved since the 80s, uh, it's just mind-boggling. But... So yeah, this on location, uh, this desert, um, they, they were able to finally pin down, but I guess there were some delays. Uh, 9-11 happened kind of in the midst of when they wanted hmm. to do things. They were originally going to have Mel Gibson back, and he he was busy doing other acting things, and then they were going to film in Australia, and I think they were on the the eastern or the one of the coasts of Australia that was... Um, kind of more deserty and then it got flooded and then it stayed huh. flooded like they thought it oh. would dry up and it never did so they had to switch uh, locations and finally got it here finally got a hold of, of thomas hardy to play the role and and here it is 2015 and they pulled it off i'm, I'm kind of glad they waited because i think yeah i don't think it would have been shot as as arty as it would now um I, i'm hoping this film ages well too like i hope in 20 years i can look back and and enjoy this film Oh, I think so. I I look at other films like the first kind of comparison that comes to mind is Lawrence of Arabia because it's a, a movie filmed in the desert. It's you know sort of a big scope, um, and the cinematography of that movie holds up today. It, it still looks amazing on DVD. Um, I had a chance to go see it projected in seventy millimeter a couple years ago and missed the opportunity. I'm really upset about that because I, I'm sure it would have looked amazing, but uh, there's something about sort of landscape films like movies shot in the desert or movies like uh, Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven which is shot in like wheat fields things like that that are visually beautiful throughout time you know what I mean like oh yeah you drive by a wheat field in the summer 
and it's always pretty. It sort of this, it translates well to film as well. It's not, it's not dated because, again, it's sort of a dystopian thing, and it's it's got its own universe, its own style. So it's not of a time period. You know, you look at Road Warrior, and there's definitely '80s elements, sort of that '80s punk and new wave vibe going on. Mm-hmm. But it sort of it sort of maintains itself today because it does look dystopian. You know what I mean? It doesn't look it doesn't look of a period. So I, I think it'll hold up really well. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. You know, I'm trying to think of like the dystopian uh, post-apocalyptic settings of movies that are out there. Uh, you know, the teen fiction, I guess, is really popular, like Hunger Games-esque movies where it's almost like totalitarian uh, regimes are in control mm-hmm. when in reality it's almost like the world would kind of eat itself whole and you'd have yeah. these tribes fighting for the the resources that kind of didn't help like gasoline and bullets um yeah. and the lack of crops and water i mean that kind of makes sense especially in a deserty place like australia which is where this movie i think is supposed to be taking place at yeah. um and you have like the beat up cars and the motorcycles and, and the rags that they wear to kind of hide out from the sun and that, and that stuff. And that makes total sense to me. So I, I really think the setting is just 100% believable. Right. Yeah. It's sort of like it sort of took the interstellar route where it's not so much, you know, we're removed from the cold war. I, I know Mad Max came out in the eighties, which was sort of towards the tail end of the cold war, but there was still sort of that threat of, of you know are we all gonna just bomb each other to to smithereens and so we're removed from that now and i think people now are kind of like uh you know i guess there's a possibility that that could happen but probably not likely because we don't want to just implode um whereas in the past it was sort of like wow but these, these people are crazy enough that they might just implode the earth so now it's it's more like well, if anything happens, it's going to be an environmental disaster. You know, we're going to just use up all of our resources. Um, gasoline's going to dry up. We're not going to have that anymore. Uh, we're going to ruin the planet, so the oceans are going to dry up. We're not going to have water. We're not going to have crops. And that's sort of what you got from this movie. It wasn't so much that there were, you know, political or, you know, warring reasons for the, for the you know, apocalypse. It's more just oh, we did this to ourselves, and now we're in these factions, which we've, again, done to ourselves. So it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic to see played out in, in sort of different decades of, of when Mad Max was, was made. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the movie did well in the box office. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to convince everyone I know to go see it so it can do better. Yeah. Um, but George Miller has come out and said... You know, it did well enough to where we're going to do a sequel. Uh, Mad Max Wasteland, I believe he said it. And and Thomas Hardy signed on for, I think, three more sequels. Uh, that doesn't awesome. necessarily mean that that's going to happen, I don't think. But it's, right. he's kind of agreed that he would do it if the, they choose to. And not that this needs a sequel, but hey, sign me up, right? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes, please. All of the movies that get sequels, like... Oh, what's that Adam Sandler movie with their friends? Uh, Grown Ups. Yeah. That got a sequel. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Let's let's give Mad Max a sequel, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like Pitch Perfect has a sequel out right now, Pitch Perfect Two. Right, and that's you it's know, a which, tough competition in the box office right now. Yeah, which is surprising. I, it surprised you know. me. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my friends on social media have have stated that that they had saw Pitch Perfect, and I'm just kind of like, really, you know, over Mad Max? Come on, exactly. What are we doing? <laughs> right? So. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I saw I saw Mad Max at uh, sort of our local theater in a small town. Uh, it's a twin theater, so there's two screens, and the first screen was still Avengers. Mad Max was sort of on the second smaller screen today, uh, which I was kind of surprised about. I thought maybe Avengers would get bumped to the second screen, and um, Mad Max might get the big one. But hmm. it was it was still cool to see, and and pretty good crowd for for a Wednesday night. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I went on a Tuesday night, and it was uh, it was a decent crowd. Yeah, yeah, it's a movie that that I want to see. It's getting tons of great reviews, which is awesome to see. But yes, I'd love to see that get a, a nice bump in the box office to encourage studios like this is the action movies that we want to see. Yeah, definitely you know, make more of these movies. You know, I'll be honest. I when when this movie the trailer was out when this movie was announced, I. I was kind of 50-50. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't feel compelled to see it. I didn't really, I did not want to see it, but I didn't want to see it. Um, you know, the trailer looked interesting and it piqued my interest. And the more I, I watched it, I, I was interested. But I think when I saw the first reports, the reviews, IMDb was hovering around a 9.0 from the user ratings. I believe it's at yeah. an 8.8 at the moment. And the Metacritic score was at an 89. And that <laughs> never <huge>. happens. <laughs> so I was I was instantly convinced that I need to see this movie because there's a lot of people who think it's good. Uh, a lot of people think it's great. So I, I wanted to get my opinion out there for, for the show and for myself too. So I'm really happy I did. Absolutely. And we hope that you go see this movie. Please. <laughs> Definitely. Like the Avengers still in theaters. If you haven't seen that, sure. Check that out. <laughs> it was well done. Yeah. But Mad Max just it will blow your mind. It will. Yeah. I mean, I really think this movie is going to be just one of those classics that people refer to. Like, like Mad Max One is already, you know, has that reputation where people are like, oh, the Mad Max uh, action movie, right? The Terminator Absolutely. action movie. Like of its time, this is going to be Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, people people of like the this generation may. Um, do that uh since you know this is 30 plus years sorry 30 well 30 years and then some uh from the other movies that this is being re- uh, sort of remade i guess so d- i yeah totally go see it <laughs> keep it real yeah <laughs> absolutely two thumbs index fingers Middle fingers, ring, <laughs> pinkies, they're all up. They're all up for this. Hands up. That's right. Um, Two hands up. Anything else you want to add that's on your mind? Um, that's all I have I, written I, down that I I felt like thrown out there. Yeah, I feel like I could talk about this movie for hours and just sort of dissect different scenes and go through stuff, but... Uh, yeah, I don't. I've got nothing that's coming to mind other than just <laughs> yeah. Go see it, go see it. Right. I mean, I just. Yeah, I mean the, the costume department really. 
yeah. did an amazing job here. The the yeah, the, the pyro design. mechanics. Yeah, it's just all of it. <sighs> I was happy to see s- certain things pop up in the credits before it got to the actors. Like you had second unit director, and then they also kind of highlighted that he was the stunt coordinator. Um, and then they talked about um, what talked about. I they credited. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the guy's main title was, but then they said that he was the colorist for the movie, which is a huge part of the visuals of this movie is how it was color graded. Um, so that was kind of neat to see them sort of give a nod to those people uh, because it was definitely one of those, like people are going to talk about the stunts and they're going to talk about the visuals. And these were the two people that were, you know, really instrumental in helping achieve that along with cinematographer, yes. um, John seal and George Miller, the director, but uh, great, great stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah great movie enough said go see it <sighs> Matt <laughs> Mark I think that wraps up what we uh, were discussing Mad Max Fury Road it's in theaters now um, so it sounds like this weekend uh, Tomorrowland opens I yes have plans to see that opening night um, very nice what about you? Are weekend plans, future movies? Or are you just going to s- marinate on this tonight since you're uh, fresh off the off the film? I may actually try to go see Mad Max again on Sunday. Uh, we've got a, a birthday party for a niece on Sunday, and I may try to grab one of my brother-in-laws and sort of sneak out and go see it. Yes. Uh, Plus so one. Yeah. But, yeah, tomorrow Land is out. I definitely am interested in seeing that. It'll probably be next week or next weekend before i get around to seeing that but uh yeah we're getting very close to the summer blockbuster stuff like jurassic world's coming out in a couple weeks Mm -hmm. so some some cool stuff coming down the pipeline indeed i will say this movie really set the bar extremely high for jurassic world because of the way that they purposely did a non-green screen movie with uh, as little cgi as possible so um if there is a, a, a blockbuster action hit this summer that's going to win the category of best, um, I don't know what the word is, non-CGI-E action yeah. scenes. <laughs> uh, practical. Practical effects, uh, real real effects. Uh, this is this is it. I mean, this has won, and mm. there's nothing that's yeah. going to come close to it without even having to see the movies that, that are yet to come out because this is a rare gem. It really is. Well said, sir. Well, at any rate, I think that is all we have for this evening on The Producers. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Nurse. Glad you liked it.